0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 71 of the F1 Show for coverage of the 2010 Monaco Grand Prix. I'm Jim Lau, and I'm here by myself this week as Robin is off in Hawaii at a friend's wedding. So I'll do my best to bring you all the news and updates and uh, coverage of winners and losers and everything that goes on in the weekend. So unfortunately for you, you won't have Robin's knowledge and insight and wit. But fortunately for you, I am all hopped up and caffeine, so I'll do the best I can. So it's only been a week since everyone packed up from Barcelona and headed to Monaco, but there have been a few updates I'll tell you about. First, that volcano in Iceland is still causing problems as it shut down the airport at Barcelona. So actually, we saw a couple of drivers doing road trips from Barcelona onto Monaco just to avoid all the hassle of air travel and any potential delays and problems. So it was pretty cool actually being able to follow the drivers on Twitter. Uh, Specifically, Karen Chandock tweeted about having a road trip with Bruno Senna, and I think Weber did a, a little road trip of his own on his way to Monaco. And that's something real fun with all the drivers on Twitter and everything, being able to see just these little insights into what they're doing between races and all that, and not just see their professional faces when they get to the track and do these interviews with media. And the other off-track excitement, if you can call it that, is deciding on a tire supplier for 2011. As we've talked about here before, Bridgestone has said they are no longer going to do F1 tires after this year, and there are three contenders for next year's tire supplies. Uh, could be Pirelli... Avon Cooper or Michelin. And right now it's looking like Pirelli is the favorite because of some, you know, they're doing some advertising deals and things like that. So it looks like the teams will have to pay less money to get tires specifically, but also get some convoluted profit sharing out of this whole advertising deal. So uh, not necessarily for the technology, but coming down to the money, it seems like Pirelli uh, is is the favorite right now for supplying tires next year. And uh, there was a meeting this weekend with all the FOTA in Monaco. I don't know whether that was on a yacht or not, although since Flavio Briatore was not involved, I assume that it wasn't. But the teams are trying to officially decide on a supplier for next year, and they haven't yet done so. They were hoping to, to get that done, but uh, it hasn't happened yet. So as it stands right now, we're still looking at uh, Pirelli being the favorite, and we'll see where that goes from there. So Friday practice, or Thursday practice as it's known in Monaco because that's when they run it, was all about Alonzo. He was fastest in uh, practice one and two. Uh, the Red Bulls were right up there fast as well, but McLaren actually couldn't break up into the top six. They were really struggling to find pace and trying to get their car working well and get their lap times sorted out. So they've got some work to do this weekend. Everybody was worried about traffic in Q1 with 24 cars on the grid in Monaco. It's sort of the worst combination of lots of cars in a narrow and short track. But traffic wasn't as bad as people thought. And everyone seemed to be, do a good courteous job of getting out of each other's way and so on. And at the end of it, it was the usual six cars down at the bottom. And the seventh man out in Q1, who never even took part in Q1, that was Fernando Alonso, who slid his car into the wall at Massonet, and it was damaged beyond what they could repair to get him to run in qualifying. So he's actually going to have to start from the pit lane uh, on, in the race. For Q2, the only real surprise was uh, Adrian Sutil ended up, uh, was taken out. He ended up 12th, and Lucy made it onto Q3, but otherwise it was sort of the usual mid-pack runners. And then in Q3, we had a really good lap up from Robert Kubica early on and just really set the pace. And then uh, as the session unfolded, Weber responded and just pipped him out a little bit but then out of nowhere, Weber came up with an amazing lap and just dominated. It was like three-tenths of a second faster than Kubica's lap. So Weber got pole, but it was really just one of the best pole shootouts I've seen in a while, just going back and forth and uh, with everything working out pretty well. Um, so they, they, they end up rundown for Q3. was uh, Weber on pole, like I mentioned, Kubica outside, uh, Vettel coming up just short and coming in third place, Massa behind him, and then Hamilton, Rosberg, and Schumacher, and I'll talk more about them later, and then Jensen Button down in eighth, Rubens Kello squeaking into the top 10 in 9th, and Tony Liuzzi coming 10th. Mark Weber showed in qualifying that he knows how to get the best out of his car around Monaco, and he used that knowledge to control this race. A crash on lap 1 for Hulkenberg brought out a very early safety car, and Ferrari reacted quickly to bring Alonso in and get his mandatory tire change out of the way without losing a position. That decision paid off, and Alonso cycled up to 6th place, as others in front of him had to pit. Just after that safety car, Jensen Button's engine overheated and caught fire. He had to retire, and that failure was traced back to an engine inlet cover being left on for his installation lap. That got things too hot in the car, and running behind the safety car was too much for that Mercedes lump to handle. Midway through the race, there were three other safety car periods. One was due to Rubens-Williams being stuck pointed the wrong way on track after a failure in a crash, and another for a loose drain cover that never really turned into anything. The last safety car was brought out with three laps to go when Jarno Trulli and Karen Chandock collided just in front of Weber in La Rascasse. But Weber made it safely through that carnage and went on to win the Grand Prix of Monaco. Just behind him was his teammate Sebastian Vettel, who passed Kubica in the first corner, and behind him was Kubica, who held on to third position for the remainder of the race. Then it was Massa, Hamilton, and Alonso, with Rosberg, Sutil, Liuzzi, and Buemi rounding out the top ten. Michael Schumacher was set to finish seventh, but made a pass around Alonso in the final corner of the final lap after the safety car pulled off, and Mercedes later found out there's a rule against that, and Schumi was penalized 20 seconds, which puts him 12th spot. So the big story this weekend has to be Mark Webber. He just did an amazing job of just had this race in hand every time. There were four safety car periods, and every time he was able to just get that lead back and keep things under control. And he's really shown everyone that last weekend in Barcelona wasn't just a fluke, but he really has figured things out, and he's really just at the top of his game right now. So he's, you know, beaten Vettel twice and just doing a great job. And I'm excited to see Weber just continue to do well like this. Um, You know, we had been predicting Vettel this and all that, and I hadn't realized that it was... Uh, red bull has been on pole every race this season they're just really dominating when it comes to a time lap on their own and they have those reliability issues early on but they're really getting things figured out and it's you know too close to call anything specific for the championship but as it stands now mark weber leads uh, by virtue of having more victories than vettel who's only got one but they've got the same number of points so the red bull guys are really just dominant right now and They're looking to just continue on that success and keep doing well. Uh, This momentum earlier in the season, I think, is really going to carry them on. And I'm happy to see them go forward with that and really just take that momentum on into Turkey and beyond. And while there's still a lot that can go on with the Drivers' Championship, Red Bull is looking really strong for constructors. They're 20 points ahead of Ferrari. And with two 1-2s back-to-back, you really can't do any better than that. But a lot of the early on track action came from Fernando Alonso, who, like I mentioned, started from the pit lane and had to work his way through the field everybody did actually make it through most of the first lap unscathed till nico hulkenberg got to the tunnel but uh, Alonso had the benefit of starting from the pit lane so if anything did go wrong in turn one he would have been able to sort of zip around that and, and go on with his day but that's a, actually saw some of the best on track action in monaco was just Alonso in one of the fastest cars uh, just dealing with all the back markers and so on trying to find ways around these guys around the twisty streets of monaco so the hrt guys got out of the way and it was no problem he worked his way up those two positions uh but then got stuck behind Lucas Degrassi for I think two or three laps uh, and you know was getting really frustrated because his car was obviously so much faster but he just couldn't find a way around so uh, it could have been just a you know a, an attention grab from the Virgin team just to say hey we're on TV we're being covered because you know this is the best on-track battle uh, but at the end of it it you know it's not really that terribly safe to, to do so just because it seemed like kind of asking for trouble with Alonzo behind you just trying to find any position he can to get around and it's kind of an interesting question as a backmarker, whether you should get out of his way or not. In one sense, you are racing for position just as he is. You're not lap traffic at that point. But in reality, it's almost a totally different race between the new teams, as far off the pace as they are, and the established teams, and especially Fernando Alonso, who really could have been on pole here and could have been right up there at the front. Uh, so as it worked out, the you know the Lotuses let him by, kind of medium easy. Um, but uh, yeah, man, Degrassi really took the fight to him, and it was... It, it could have been kind of cool for a couple laps, but I'm sure Ferrari was just really frustrated, and, and Alonso was obviously frustrated in the car to uh, you know, be stuck behind a, a much much slower car for that long. Uh, and then the other big controversy with Alonso this weekend was that pass in the final corner, final lap by Schumacher. So they're behind the safety car after this uh, this you know this crash three laps prior, and uh, the safety car did pull off the off the track at the very end of it, uh, you know, at the pit entrance, and then. Uh, Michael Schumacher and Mercedes sort of figured, uh, "Hey, we're under normal conditions at this point. It's not green flag racing. I guess it's checkered flag racing at that point. But uh, hey, I can make a pass here. I can, you know, work my way around and did pass Alonso. But uh, there is apparently a rule that uh, if the safety car is in control of the lap and it's the last lap of the race, even though the safety car pulls off and normally you'd be able to pass someone at that point because it's the end of the race. You cannot pass anyone until you get to the checkered flag. So Mercedes has gone to appeal, not the penalty because the penalty has been levied. It's a, would have been a drive through penalty if they could have, but instead it's 22nd penalty, which brings Michael Schumacher back to 12 spot and out of the points. Um, but so that that's been decided and that's done and that's official, but they can appeal the stewards decision, which seems strange to me because it seems like a pretty clear cut rule, um, of specifically covering this situation where the safety car is in control for the last lap and, you know, X, Y, and Z down the road. Uh, it's pretty clear what's, what's gone on here. And it seems like Mercedes just forgot about that rule or something, or Schumacher's just racing mentality got the best of him and he wasn't really thinking about, uh, penalties and things like that. So that's, you know, one of the first penalties we've seen like that, and it's, I, you know, whether this had anything to do with it or not, Damon Hill was on the stewards panel. He was the, the driver advisor this weekend. So it puts him in kind of a funny position because it seems like a pretty clear breach of the rules. Yet I think a lot of people looking at this could say, oh, this is Damon getting his just desserts from 1994 and all this stuff. And I personally don't think I, that it's, it has much to do with that, but it seems like a pretty clear um, violation of the rules to me. And I think it's it's fair, you know. I think Michael should have just stayed where he was, and he would have been better off. But the uh, the upshot of this is Sebastian Buemi does get a point uh, for his position in uh, in tenth. So hey, good for him. Uh, but speaking of Mercedes, they really kind of had some, some issues this weekend. That obviously was a big one with, his, with Schumacher's penalty. But even in qualifying, uh, their, their timing was just a little bit off. And, you know, these guys go down to the second with when the cars are go on track, where the other cars are going to be, where their teammates are going to be. But as it happened, uh, Nico Rosberg was supposed to be released into the pit lane at just the right time to get out there and circulate and not be in anyone's way. But there was a problem with his car that ended up holding him an extra 30 seconds. And, of course, that's all it took for him to just get out of sync and he, uh, Nico Rosberg ended up slowing up Michael Schumacher. So of all the people to be slowed down by in qualifying, your own teammate, especially when your teammate is Nico and you are Michael Schumacher, was really fr- a frustration for him and a big embarrassment for the team. So at first, uh, Schumacher thought there was foul play or something. He was all angry and he said, oh, the team explained it to me and it was just a mistake. Uh, but still, that's, that's frustrating because as hard as it is to pass anyone here in Monaco, uh, if the qualifying position is very important. So Nico ended up dissatisfied with his his performance Schumacher was sat- was dissatisfied because he was held up by Nico and you know they just it really kind of a challenge going on over there at uh at mercedes this weekend and uh it's it's tough i mean they're really trying to come good and, and do well and uh you know they they actually went back to the shorter wheelbase car and they're trying to get away from all these allegations. I guess that uh, the F1 show, among other media, was saying, "Oh, it's it's all the, the car is built to shoot, suit Schumacher now, and Rosberg has to struggle because of that." And Mercedes is saying, "Oh, no, no, no way! It's just the way we do the front suspension a little bit differently." And they had to go back to the shorter wheelbase car to get the steering rack to work out to get around the casino hairpin and all that stuff here. So. I guess we'll 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 leave that said. I guess we'll take the team's word for that for now and and see where this goes going forward. But I guess this is just I mean they did get points uh, in from from Rosberg this weekend, but otherwise it's pretty much a weekend to forget for Mercedes. Just these tactical errors and they really just you know having egg on their face after after um, all the just the issues going on, and, uh, and you know Nico is just probably probably about the worst i've seen him in terms of dealing with the media just kind of you know giving you strange interviews and talking about how he's in such a bad mood and uh in the during the gridwalk I, I watched the bbc coverage this weekend so uh, martin brown goes up and do you want to give us a sound bite? and Nico's just like nope And I guess that becomes your soundbite if that's all you say. But it was just kind of strange, uh, out of character for Nico. Even though he ended up doing better than Schumacher, it's like he felt bad for holding him up and didn't want to relish in the fact that he was on the grid higher or just felt like he could have done more. But it's, uh, yeah, tough, tough going over there. And then the last team I want to talk about this weekend is Renault, with a pretty split weekend. Uh, Robert Kubica obviously doing a really great job to get the car, with what looked like pole position, but they ended up second and holding on. I mean, he got passed by Vettel in the first corner, but other than that, he held on and just did a really solid job this weekend to uh, get a lot of points for Renault. But his teammate Petrov really just seems to be trying a bit too hard. He had a, a crash in qualifying and uh, just a minor one, but still enough to mess him up and, and end up in the race having brake problems and all that. And And it seems like some drivers really do well when they're pushed by their teammate. And I think Weber even falls into that category when, when Vettel steps up and is really good. it sort of just invigorates Mark Weber to go out and do well. But Petrov, I think has kind of the opposite way because he's not, not as experienced and obviously very new to formula one. Uh, When he sees Robert Kubica go out there and do really well, he sort of says, Oh, why can't I do that with the car and gets out and just pushes a little bit beyond his skill level. And in a place like Monaco, that just doesn't work. So uh, it's a, split decision for them. I haven't heard any rumblings about getting rid of Petrov or anything like that. I mean, it is still early days and they still know that, but it is kind of a shame when you've got one driver right up there on the podium and uh, the other languishing around mid-pack and then end up retiring with brake problems. Uh, it may not be his fault, but either way, it's uh, a disappointing, disappointing way to go for them. So normally you'd have Robin here to talk about all kinds of other exciting things and bounce ideas off me and all that. But since I don't have him, uh, I'm going to look to you guys, our listeners, for some feedback. Even though it's only been seven days since our last race and our last podcast, we've had plenty of good feedback from you guys. So I'm going to start with the comments people posted on F1show.com. And I think it's safe to say we had a couple of uh, clairvoyant commenters this weekend uh first of all thanks for the comment michael elms but also cam mcgrath corrects me that i'm not right when i say aussie it's uh, you know pronounced aussie so that's good he says this may come in useful for you when you report on weber taking out the poll and the win in monaco Hmm. Also, Allison agreed that the Oz anthem is uh you know, just a bit dull, and she says the lyrics aren't great either, but it does improve when sung to the tune of Gilligan's Island, so we'll have to try that sometime. And then uh Stian Johansson, thanks for the for the comment. And David Buckley was uh, talking about our, our comments about Schumacher being an old man holding up traffic on his Sunday driving, uh, but also talks about how Damon Hill was the you know monitoring Monaco with the Stewards this weekend and says, Hope he finally gets his own back on Schumacher. And obviously, we uh, we know how that turned out. So, uh, you know, good comments from you guys. Uh, but also on Facebook, we've actually gotten up to 594 people as f- fans of us or who like us or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I'd love to see that in 600 or 650 or whatever. So if you can... Tell a couple of our buddies about you know about us on Facebook. That's what Facebook's all about. So you can recommend us and all that. And I uh, re- really appreciate having people on there. We've got a great com- conversation going on every time. Uh, there's a race weekend or anything going on in between races. So definitely check that out if you're not part to that. It's uh, Facebook.com/f1show. And I want to thank uh, Chris Jones, Will Carver, and the ever-present Paul Peard for posting some various articles and videos and things on the page not the least of which was a failed donut by Ricardo Rosset at, uh, at Monaco in 1998. So go check that out if you haven't already. And I want to thank Matthew Venard, uh, Ian Dybel, and Christopher Kay for their nice comments about the show. I posted a link on the Facebook page a while back about the Cypher group hoping to join the 2011 grid. It's a, a, a U.S.-based collective of engineers or something. Uh, that's Anyway, they're trying to be an F1 team in 2011. And uh, we had a question on Twitter from Sandy. Is there space for another team? And they had talked previously about having, obviously, USF1 on the grid this year. So I think FIA is and, and FOM are open to more teams in F1. But also, we're not sure that all the teams that are in there this year are going to continue on to next year. Uh, hopefully, budgets and everything are getting better as the recession and everything is freeing up things and uh, more teams are, are looking forward to it. But there could certainly be some fallout this season from how far these cars are off the pace. and. Uh, all these huge expectations about coming into F1 and doing well that haven't come true as, as much as they would have liked. But then again, there's some other rule changes coming in, entire changes, obviously, that uh, will shuffle the whole thing up. So it's hard to say, but certainly it's worth keeping a track of who's submitting their bids and what's going on with that. And, uh, you know, I just want to let you guys know what's going on out there. Also, Cameron McGrath uh, on Twitter agreed with me about the drive of the day in qualifying really be from Kubica. I mean, Weber did a great job to get the car out there and just dominate over everyone else in terms of lap time. Uh, but Kubica, and what has to be said, is an inferior car. I feel like got that car higher than where it deserved to be, splitting the, the factory the factory Red Bulls, nice the customer Renaults in, the, in terms of the Red Bulls, and uh, just a great job from him. And it's got to be a big boost to Renault in spite of what's going on with his teammate. So as we mention every time in the show at this time, visit us online at f1show.com. You can comment on the post right there. You can play shows, look up old shows, and see how wrong we were with our predictions and all that um, right there on the site. Uh, Also, twitter.com slash thef1show or facebook.com slash f1show. However you like to connect with people and podcasts and everything else going on in the internet, connect with us, and uh, we really appreciate it. Trivia! 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 Mm-hmm. No! Alrighty, so it's trivia, and let's start as always with the question from last week, which was when and where is the first place that the term Grand Prix was used? And then during the course of recording the show, Robin added, in terms of motor racing, because when he first asked me that question, I brought up uh, something from the 1800s in France, um, talking about a, you know horse racing and all that. And he said, no, 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 that's, that's rubbish. So he amended it to be uh, in auto racing. And the answer was the 1901 Paul Grand Prix in France. And uh, it's actually a race that is still held today. And the lap record holder for that Grand Prix is actually Lewis Hamilton, from his Formula 3 days, and that is a lap time of 1 minute, 11.3 seconds. And the one fan who correctly guessed that was Cameron McGrath. Man, you are showing up everywhere today, but uh, good job for that. And I wouldn't have known either, I guess, if I hadn't uh, looked it up. And speaking of looking it up, I have looked up a new trivia question for all of you. So Turkey is the next race, and it's one of the few counterclockwise or anti-clockwise circuits on the F1 calendar with primarily left-hand turns, which, you know, we're fami- real familiar with here in the U.S. from NASCAR, among other uh, Oval series. But uh, can you name all the other anti clockwise slash counterclockwise tracks on the calendar this year? I'm not even going to tell you how many there are. That's part of the challenge is uh, what are all of the... Primarily left-hand, counterclockwise, circuits on the calendar. And you may answer in the form of a tweet, Facebook message, email, carrier pigeon, whatever. And uh, there you go. Alrighty, predictions. And this is a fun time when you're doing the show by yourself because your co-host isn't here to make good predictions. But just kidding. No, he actually called me and did make predictions, even though he had not yet seen the Monaco race. So we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But to recap our predictions from last race, I personally predicted that there would be 10 cars out of the race, kind of as a joke, but there were 12. So I was actually kind of close on that. And I had Hamilton on pole and Weber for the win. So I actually got one right in terms of Weber, uh, and then not quite there with Hamilton. Uh, Robin had Vettel Vettel, which was A reasonable guess but didn't turn out to be correct either Um, and the statistical or the heuristic uh, stat model did actually get it right of course with Weber's back-to-back dominance with uh, predicting you know just from what happened last race to this race Weber on pole Weber for the win so let's see how that breaks down for points all right looking at this carry the one subtract the results oh i still lose oh man so uh, again i end up with four points obviously I had weber right for the victory but uh hamilton qualifying fifth i get four points Robin gets three because Vettel was pretty close. And uh, as I mentioned, the statistical model having zero. So, man, stat model wins. Robin's second. I'm third. I guess I owe the stat model a Coke or something. Uh, As for fan predictions, Will Carver predicted button-on-pull and button for the win, and he ends up with 29 points. Ouch. Although I will say... Jacob Macri had Weber Weber zero points. Jacob gets a coke. Stat model gets a coke, and everybody's happy. We had a lot of other fan predictions, and I think everyone had great fun. Uh, anyone who picked Alonzo obviously for pole ended up uh, losing badly this time, but that's how it goes, and it's just all kind of fun, and that's how we why, why we do the predictions anyway. Uh, for new predictions. Uh, Robin called me and knowing nothing about this weekend, uh, predicted button on pull and button for the win in Turkey. So he's not here to explain why, but he did. And, uh, that's, that's fine. I guess he's, you know, thinking they'll get all the, all their, uh, inlet cover engine inlet cover removal strategy all sorted out by next weekend. And, uh, we we'll, or two weeks from now, and we'll have all that up to speed. I am going to go a little bit differently. I was just looking up the Turkish Grand Prix and seeing, who's the most dominant there and that is felipe Massa. and i feel like that ferrari is just knocking on the door of the red bulls and they could put it together to be fast enough to actually take pole and the way these things have been going i think he will take that pole to victory so i'm going to put down felipe Massa, pole and for the win and as ever let us know what you think in all the variety of ways i've mentioned and we'll see how we all do Hopefully this show was listenable for you. I know I'm by myself here, and uh, it's not quite as exciting without two voices and all that. But uh, I've had fun, and we will be back at full strength in two weeks' time for Turkey. So until then, I'm Jim Lau. Have a good one. The F1 Show is hosted by Jim Lau and Robin Ward. Many thanks to our editor, Jim Lau. We couldn't do trivia without our fact finder, Robin Warner. A tip of our hat to our producers, Robin Warner and Jim Lau, as well as our executive producers, Robin Warner and Jim Lau. Of course, a thousand thank yous to our excellent catering service, Restaurant. And finally, we'd like to offer a huge thank you to Bio Bonsai for use of their song Inspector B from the Big Band album for our intro and outro music. The F1 Show is brought to you by two Americans who love the sport of F1, Jim Lau and Robin Warner.